Welcome to CTOs of Tomorrow, the podcast that brings together the brightest minds to explore the future of remote work and digital strategy. Join us as our host, Jonathan Desotel, Professional Services Sales Director at M-Files, uncovers smarter ways to work in the rapidly evolving remote environment. Hi there, I'm Jonathan Desotel, Professional Services Sales Director at M-Files. Today I'm joined by Todd Duclos. Todd, your background is very interesting. Looks like you have an HR background and some IT and digital transformation experience. Is that your area of focus? I sort of have always focused on newer technology. So I have a master's in technology and innovation management. And that's sort of what, since I got that, I've kind of tried to focus on that innovation side of helping a company look a little more forward than they typically will. As you get wrapped up in quarterly results and everything else, it's hard to look four years ahead and say, what's our world going to look like? And so I've always bounced between marketing and IT and working with all the various groups across staffing to try and find their audience and make sure that we're thinking about disruption and other things in the business. So it's always been sort of a mick thing, but lately it's more leadership roles where you're driving that strategy and really trying to help the company turn into something else. Yep. No, fantastic. So kind of diving into that a little bit. So first, you know, like I said, thank you for for joining us today. Definitely good to chat with you. In terms of the the challenges that HR departments face, what would you say are some of the kind of the unique ones as it relates to, to technology that you've been seeing lately? I think one of the big ones over the last couple of years, especially during the pandemic, is just the onboarding process for HR and offboarding. Mm-hmm. So as you go through the process of bringing on new people, you used to be able to just sort of have IT get everything ready at the desk and then show up (laughs) and it'd be fine. Today, you have to mail everything and and kind of walk them through that setup and make sure they have a spot for it and everything else. And so that onboarding and offboarding is becoming much more important and companies are really starting to focus on it. So you're seeing in the window space, it was very common to have the ability to image a notebook and give them exactly what they needed for their role. But on the Mac side, it was really hard. And now you're seeing companies jump into that space and really make that a whole lot easier. And partners like you know resellers and things are offering that as a service now where they'll say, tell us what the role is and we'll send the right equipment out for you. Right. Okay. What about in terms of the actual technology and kind of trying to onboard virtually, but have access to information across the enterprise and across different platforms and stuff. How are you seeing that uh, as it relates to onboarding, uh, whether it's, you know, out of college recruitment or, or, um, or, you know, further along professionals? I think the technology side and the recruitment side is about to have some significant disruption. So if you think about for the past 20 years or so since monster.com became, you know, what it is, They've sort of been how we do things is you you post things and through Indeed and other companies that have sort of mastered the SEO, it generates a whole lot of candidate flow back into your systems. And as a result, I'm seeing a real issue in this disconnect between people that are looking for work and people trying to hire workers where those systems are almost getting in the way. They're getting so many candidates and so many people through that pipeline that they're just unable to respond. And you know, even in areas where they need help badly, it's just broken. And you know, I, I, up here, I was just talking to a couple wait staff at a restaurant last night, and they said that during the pandemic, they were applying to hundreds of jobs and not getting a single callback. And when you hear the narrative of what's happening, especially in those service industries, it's we can't hire people. 
And I think part of that is the technology is sort of gaming itself, is that request for what the applicant or what the client's looking for is so dramatically different from the actual experience of people that it's not matching. But it's close enough. It's just the system can't tell that. It can't say, oh, this would still be a good fit. It just moves past them and then no one contacts them and you end up in this you know, awful experience on both sides where the client's not happy with the candidate flow and the candidates are not happy with the lack of information coming back to them. And even for myself, I was recently unemployed and, and that whole process, it just feels very broken just because the amount of people that actually called for roles that I was a good fit for or, or roles that you know I'd helped other companies with versus referrals and people reaching out to me directly was night and day. Now, some of that's a level problem, right? At a certain level, that's what happens. But in general, I think the technology of ATS systems and job boards are really starting to let down both the company and the candidates in that a change is coming in how we do that. Interesting. What do you see with um, AI playing a role? You kind of touched on SEO a little bit, but um, in terms of uh, leveraging technology from HR departments and staffing firms to, uh, to try and help enable that? Yeah, and, and staffing and, and on the recruitment side, AI has been a big play for people. There's always a desire to reduce the amount of sales admin that's happening for a particular recruiter. And recruiters don't like to be working in the system. And so you're always trying to reduce the amount of time or admin time versus sales time. And what AI provides is an opportunity to do that. The challenge is is that you need the processes set up in such a way that AI can automate them. If you don't know what you want the system to do next, it can't do anything. And so I've been working with AI and machine learning companies from the very beginning. Wade and Wendy was one of the very first recruitment AI companies and Ronstad funded them and we worked with them from two to you know hundreds of people. Sense is another big one in the recruitment industry that can get set up really quickly now and allow you to have that initial dialogue of do you live close enough? Do you have transportation? It's really working for the lower end jobs, especially where you just want to get those basic requirements filled. And then on the upper end, other companies are really targeting that high-end corporate side to try and gather that similar type of information of give me your resume, give us your timeline, give us things like that. And that way, some of those steps are removed from the recruitment process, and it allows the recruiter to start right where they want to, which is with an interested candidate that matches their jobs. And the more and more that these AI tools get built into the process and the data becomes cleaner and cleaner, the better outcome for all involved, because you're going to start to see follow-up emails that go out that ask for changes and emails and phone numbers, and especially on the contract work side, where you can ask both the company that hired the contractor and the contractor, what do you think your end date is? and start to really work at redeployment in a lot more efficient way than is possible today. Because typically there's a disconnect between when the consultant thinks they're ending the assignment and when the company thinks they are. And yeah. trying to then redeploy them becomes more challenging because the end dates aren't real. Right. But with mm-hmm. AI, you can solve that. And companies are starting to do a good job of that. Sense does a great job of that particular activity. The other big thing that it's doing is resume refresh. So Every staffing and HR company and even major company has all these databases in their, res- in their you know, ATS or in their databases. And 
now they're able to send out information and say, can you give us an updated resume so that you can get those new skills and really start to use that database a lot better than maybe you were previously. Kind of moving on a little bit from kind of post-recruiting. So once they've been onboarded, you know, a lot of conversations I've had with, with executives talking about the culture piece, especially during the pandemic of being virtual, trying to instill that corporate culture or the organizational culture has obviously been a, a pretty big challenge. You, know, you can't really put people in a bullpen and have them nearby other key mentors or something like that. How do you see technology playing a role for better or for worse with that component? I think that the use of video systems has really accelerated during the pandemic. So whether you're using Zoom or Teams or anything else, companies have really started to invest in those technologies, allowing for a better interaction between people, even if they are remote. And I think the other big part about the corporate culture piece is that companies are starting to really focus on the corporate social responsibility side. So what is it that we stand for and that our candidates and clients and everyone needs to know about that we take part in that helps generate a linkage between the community and our company. And younger employees especially are really looking for that when they come on board and want to understand who you are and what you're about. Companies like Salesforce have done a great job with their 111 program where they do 1% dedicated to charities and 1% of work time that you can do that in 1% of just free time. But other companies have really signed to leverage that synergy between who they are as a company and what they want to be from a community standpoint and are linking those a lot more and really talking about it a lot more. And I think that can also help the culture because as an example, if you're working in a like a medical staffing company and you partner with say like a Rubicon who goes to disaster relief places, suddenly you have this synergy between their sort of doing similar work to you and you can start to really relate to what the company is other than just we're a medical staffing company. And yeah. so I think you'll start to see culture being really wrapped around both the HR side and the marketing side for that corporate responsibility side to really say who you are. And it gets to the reason people are leaving companies is companies have, you know, this great resignation piece that started is really because your culture is broken and people are tired of being told, grind through this for us and at the end, you'll be great. And they're kind of like, okay, it's over and I'm still grinding and I'm still not happy. And I still don't have, I can't tell my family what I like about this job. And that's part of what I think you're seeing with the great resignation is people are saying, I need more out of this than just a paycheck. Right. So we've been seeing quite a bit with that as well, whether it's just you know straight turnover or certainly the great resignation. And then a lot of companies that are trying to grow right now or trying to recruit en masse almost, facing a lot of the challenges you've talked about already with the recruiting side and then you know the onboarding piece. In terms of retention, you know, one of the things that we try and help with is certainly from a document management perspective, trying to help ease you know, the loss of the challenge of trying to find documents across disparate systems. When it comes to the technology stack, how much does that play do you find in either employee satisfaction or retention, whether it's from a professional services kind of company or, or you know, traditional major corporation? Yeah, I think I think what you're talking about is really what kind of process do you have to help your workers understand where they are in their career and where they're headed? Best way to do that is to have a very standardized process around 
weekly one-on-ones as a manager, of having succession planning within the company and understanding where the path is for people and where help is going to be needed and guiding those people to additional career possibilities that they may not be thinking of. And part of that process is being able to standardize that workflow to say, okay, here's what we talked about at the beginning of the year, what your goals are and where you want to be as a person and where you want your career to be. And here's where we are now. You have, before you can move on to your next stage, you have to really master this one. And by tracking that, you can really show people where they are in the process and they don't feel like at the end of a year, I should get promoted just because I've been here a year. And that's some of the disconnect, I think. I think companies have done a poor job of managing that managerial process, partly by giving people too many people to manage. So they have to have really quick one-on-ones and just get bogged down by it. And by not having that succession planning within the company of understanding where are we going to be weak? Where do we need to build up skills? What do we need to do? When I ran a Salesforce group, I purposely pulled star employees over to the Salesforce team so that they could learn and become a Salesforce admin. It was a better path from where they were in their customer service roles or other things. And it allowed them to really get on a much better trajectory for what they were looking for and be able to get there. And so I think the biggest issue is defining what a people leader has to be and what they need to provide to their people. I use a standard one-on-one form and have for years with all of my teams. And part of that discussion is how's your morale? How do you feel about working here? Are you getting the things you need or are you starting to look other places and why? And then understanding the one, five, 10 years out, where do you want to be? People have a real hard time getting to 10. You know, I don't know. I want to be in my own business or whatever. But the one in five is really crucial in building out that career path and saying, let me make sure I get you those skills that will let you be that in five years versus just being my best employee and doing the thing that I need you to do because that's what our group does, but not advancing you any further. You get kind of stuck in that rut of being the best employee that does that particular thing and no one asks you to do anything else. And that doesn't help your career path. So I think companies have to really standardize that, reduce the number of people that people manage, and really have a corporate philosophy around how they're advancing people within their company. Um, I, for one, hate coming in as an exec in companies because everyone looks at you and says, I've been here for so long, how come I wasn't it? And I think more companies have to rely on that internal attrition to move forward and reduce it so that they're keeping people on a path that lets them know where they're going to be with that company for whatever period of time they want to be there. And that will really help maintain their career path and what you're doing with them. So I agree 100% that having the ability to access all that reporting and share it with people and come back from the succession planning and say, the problem that you're having is you're not communicating well enough or you're not working collaboratively with other groups. You're doing a great job within your defined department, but others need more input from you. And that helps them grow as workers as well. You know, one of the challenges we have as really a high growth company, the constant hiring is is always a challenge. So whether it's sales or operations, IT, customer service, the job board for us is, is pretty extensive with those. What do you see as as kind of best practices for those companies that either you know, held off because of the pandemic and then now are trying to catch up and, and reboot and, and grow or for companies like us that are on a constant high growth trajectory of 
trying to keep up that pace and trying to manage to that and, and avoid that attrition piece that you spoke of? Yeah, I think, I think it's the oldest answer of time, right? Is <laughs> that if you do a good job with your internal people, they'll refer good people back to you and right. you won't be as reliant on the randomness of job boards and the lo- the good part about what's happened since the pandemic is that it's sort of removed the location aspect of that for many of those mm-hmm. roles. So you can just target the best available talent because they can work from anywhere and companies are much more comfortable with that. I've worked at companies where even at you know leadership levels, they were very uncomfortable with the idea of not being able to walk into the office and say, I just thought of this. Can you deal with this right now? And, you know, Slack is there and there's all the technology in the world to let you do that. It's just not the way you've always done it. And companies over the pandemic have started to realize that they can do it that way. And so on the plus side, you do get better access to a wider pool of talent. On the minus side, it's still very difficult to attract people to your role. And I think it goes back to what I said earlier of having that corporate brand you know, I always joke, Google doesn't have a hard time getting people to apply, right? Because they have a great culture. They have a great reputation. Amazon, on the other hand, has a hard time because their reputation may not be as strong from the shipping side or the logistics side, but maybe working in the cloud side is great, but they're not able to attract those people because the other side impacts it. And so maintaining in the world of Glassdoor and things like that, protect your reputation. And if you protect your reputation, people will apply more and that'll get you better quality people and your people will refer in as they're happier. And, you know, that's the best way to get candidates overall. It's just, you know, you hope job boards are just the fallback after that. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, it's interesting. I've been working virtual for, gosh, probably better part of 15 years now. And up until the last couple of years, you know, most people that I knew, you know, commuted into, uh, I'm in Connecticut, as I mentioned earlier. So they would commute to the city, mostly into New York. And now, you know, everybody was basically virtual for the last two years. One of the challenges for me with that was it wasn't just me that was virtual in the house anymore. So, you know, having the kids around, having, you know, spouse, that part certainly added some interesting mixes over the last couple of years. But where do you see either the right sizing of company offices, keeping everybody virtual, you know, how do you see technology play into that with as companies try to balance it all? Yeah, I agree with you. I think the biggest mistake companies are making is saying we worked virtually during the pandemic. And I'm like, I've worked virtually for 20 plus years. During that pandemic was nothing like how I normally work. You know, kids were home and other other people were working from home and your bandwidth was less because your whole neighborhood was home. Yep. And it wasn't as quiet. It was it was the worst experiment for virtual employment, right. but it did lead to the acceptance of it. And so I do think that will, again, the biggest piece of that to me is just the expansion of the candidate pools, is that it really lets you find better talent who want to work from home and don't want to have to commute. And you'll find that you know there's more availability as a result of opening it up beyond your area. When you look at demographic information, if you work in a like a rural area, it's really hard to find technology help and things like that. Whereas mm-hmm. now this opens that up. And if you work in a big city, it's really hard to compete with some of the bigger companies that are offering things. And in Massachusetts, where I live, Moderna is on the attack for technology people and they're willing to pay whatever they want to. And as a result, companies are really finding themselves having to evaluate their pay structure and their salary bands and everything else because there's so much competition within 
those particular roles. And so I think it will start to flatten some of that out and it will start to lead to looking at the way you describe yourself differently than we have in the past. We've always been very skills focused. I think you'll start to see softer skills really rise and people will start to really talk about how they're able to communicate virtually. They're able to manage people virtually. They're able to understand culture virtually. You know, they're going to really rely on those softer skills than the harder skills as we go forward. And you'll start to see resumes and job descriptions really start to fade that way and start to be more around almost like a global passport of the kinds of work you did and the projects you did and how you interacted, whether it was nationally or globally. And companies are going to look for that more and more. Mm, no, that's a great point. You know, our company being pretty heavily based in, in Europe, that adds another culture completely as well as the time zones and being able to, to work off hours. And so. even anytime you're a global company, it just ratchets up the complexity of your capabilities because in every region, they're going to manage their business to be successful. And it means the process won't always be the same. The challenge there is not just translation and, and getting to a consistent process. It's really fitting your, making your process generic enough that it can fit across that global span and still allow people to have the flexibility to work the way they want. And I think more and more companies are finding that to be the biggest challenge. So they're rolling out. I remember when Ronstad purchased Monster, we rolled out Monster to Europe and Monster wasn't a big player in their market. And people were not thrilled with the idea of having to convert to that process because they hadn't had huge success with it in those regions. And we had to show why this was better for the overall company and the, and the global process that we're trying to establish. And then once that was understood, traction took place. And so I think companies are going to be much more cognizant of their existing practice globally and keeping track of that both as an as-is and a to-be process of where they want to head to in order to be a global company. And I think that as more and more companies, as the web allows for that, even if you're a nationally based staffing company, you may be obtaining some workers from other parts of the world as a result of you know being able to be remote. So I think it's going to change the way people view national versus international kinds of businesses as well. Yeah, oh, that's a great point. Wind down uh, our little pod here for the day. You know, what are some of the key takeaways you would say for either HR professionals or senior executives as it relates to kind of what we've been talking about here as it relates to the technology, certainly from a culture standpoint? What would you say are the, the three keys that, uh, that you would want to hit on? I would say one, stop thinking about omni-channel and mass communications and mass efforts to get people to be a follower of your company and start to think of those smaller packets of demographics that you really want to attract. So instead of sending a million emails out, send 500 to 500 people who will really care about your company and really focus on driving them through the process that you are put them into so that it's a comfortable one for them and it's an effective one for you. And I think that that's the biggest change across all industry is that we've gone from this sort of retail-focused omni-channel that worked very well for Procter & Gamble and Walmart and companies like that to drive e-commerce and other things. But now I think you're going to have to sort of change that approach and be much more focused on relating to your audience in a very specific way and making sure that you're hitting them where they are. 
So if you think about some roles you can get from LinkedIn very strongly, but there are other roles that you might have to go to Facebook for. And in all those cases, you should be targeting very small groups of people because that way you're really fishing in the pond where you need to be and not just collecting people. When you collect people, you're collecting work and effort to try and you know filter them through your process. And if you can start with a better group coming in, the process will all accelerate. And then that leads to that hyper growth that you were talking about earlier, where you can really start to see hyper growth within your both the sales side and the recruitment side. The second thing I would say is really try and look at your technology stack as an integrated platform, that the more you can work with a partner that gives you multiple capabilities and allows you to share that data across those systems, the better off you'll be. So instead of always picking the best of breed, you might want to pick a partner like, say, a Salesforce or a Microsoft or an Oracle and say, we're going to work with you across these stacks of HR, finance, and sales, and really build out the most integrated technology stack we can versus the best available for each particular silo. And when you think of it that way of, I want the data to be integrated so I can report better and have better information about attribution and marketing costs and and analytics in general, You know, for the past couple of years, everyone's been focused on that big data idea. But building those data lakes is very challenging because it's all in separate things and called separate things. And it takes two to three years just to build the lake, let alone get any insight from it. And so if you start by integrating into a platform, your ability to build that data lake and get some insight out of all your systems will be greatly improved. And then finally, like I said, focus on your corporate face. So market about yourself and what you're doing, because many companies do a great job of supporting their local community, either in allowing their people to have time off or work on projects or do other things. And they really focus it on a set space in the community that they want to work on, whether it be hunger or children, or, you know, most companies pick that kind of thing. Market that a little more, let people know what you're doing and why you're doing it and show that side of your company so that when people come as both a client and as a candidate, they can feel some connection other than just, oh, you're a staffing company, or oh, you're a marketing company, or oh, you're a data management company. More than that, we're part of our community and we care about them. And that could lead to some sticky PR things and other things where you're sort of you know, getting into people's politics. But if you are natural about it and about the areas you're really trying to help, it will attract far more people than it will repel. That's a great point. Fantastic. The three great points to, to kind of end on a high note. So thank you very much for your time, Todd. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure speaking with you today. And thanks for joining the pod. Well, thank you so much. It was really a pleasure and I really enjoyed it. So have a great day.